The second reading is taken from Mark, chapter 7, verse 24 to 30, and you'll find it on page 1010 of the Bibles. The faith of a Syrophoenician woman. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, am I on? Can you hear me? I'm coming through. Great. Let me just move these bits. Well, we are continuing our sermon series in Mark's Gospel, and we've been thinking about encounters with Jesus, and this morning we're thinking about encountering perseverance and persistence. Uh, before we dig into Mark chapter 7, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a guide to our path. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we might see you more clearly and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd be very grateful if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 7 on page 1010 in the church Bibles. Um, I googled persistence and a definition of what persistence is. And it came up on Google, it's the fact of continuing in an opinion or course of action in spite of difficulty and opposition. Well, persistence is key to our survival, isn't it? It's how we learn stuff, it's how we learn language, we persist at it, we keep going. Uh, We learn skills and habits through persistence and perseverance. So let's take my son Joel, for example, he's two years old, and hundreds of times we've been saying to him, um, don't talk when we're talking. You've got to wait until there's a gap in the conversation. And Joel will say, mummy, mum, 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 mummy, mum, mum, over and over, and he's so persistent, he persists and persists. And I think today we get an example of a little bit like what that persistence might be from this woman who comes to Jesus, this Syro-Phoenician woman. I think we see three things from this encounter, uh, three things uh, to see. Mark's purpose for writing the account, uh, the Lord's testimony to this woman, and the woman's faith and not her wit is the key thing to take from this lesson. Uh, It's her faith not her witty response to Jesus. Well, firstly then, Mark's purpose in writing this account for us. I don't know how you imagine uh, Mark uh, writing this letter with kind of Microsoft Word, the first century edition open before him as he pens this letter. However you picture him, Mark is clear 
on his message. In fact, it's a Christian message, and it's a message for the whole world, we're told in Mark's Gospel. Chapter 14, verse 9, it's a worldwide message of good news that's to be preached to the world. And the world that Mark is writing to, no doubt, had questions about Jesus and his message. Is this really a message of hope? Is this really a message of good news for all people? What about the world outside Israel? What about the Gentiles and the Greeks? Is this a message of hope, really, for all people, including you and I today? Well, Mark is a highly sophisticated editor and author. He's strategically placed his material where he has. If you flick back a page, you'll notice uh, in Mark chapter 6, there's the feeding of the 5,000 from verse 30. That's the kind of Jewish feeding of the 5,000. And in Mark chapter 8, there's another feeding of the 4,000. Uh, 4,000 are fed in Gentile territory. And you see, what Mark is trying to show us is that there's this feeding, there's this message, there's this hope that's available, and it's available to the whole world. And we see something of that hope through this Syrophoenician pagan woman. Well, Jesus and his disciples have reached for the buckets and spades. They've made their way down to the beach, or up to the beach, in Tyre, which is on the northwest coast um, above Israel. They're probably going to watch the local Punch and Judy show. Um, perhaps the, the disciples and Jesus need some much-needed R&R after what's happened already in Mark chapter 7. Uh, the uh, religiosity of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law perhaps was getting a bit overwhelming. So Jesus decides to take the 12 disciples on probably the first church family weekend away to Tyre. And they've gone down to the seaside. Well, whatever is that reason for them going to the beach, we can be sure of this. It's not a time for public ministry. Actually, it's a private space. Look with me at verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. He's gone for some space, for some peace and quiet. Yet, he couldn't keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The weekend away schedules interrupted by this woman, a woman whose daughter's in a miserable state. She's demon-possessed. And it's interesting, isn't it, to note we were looking at Mark chapter 5 um, a couple of weeks ago. For those who are here, we were thinking about Legion, the man in the Gerasenes who was possessed by a whole load of demons. Seemingly, again, Jesus has gone to a new area. He's gone to Tyre, and immediately he's faced with the forces of darkness again. Part of Jesus' ministry is pushing back the forces of evil. Well, we're under no illusion to the identity of this woman who falls at Jesus' feet. Verse 26, she's Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. That is, she's a Gentile, and she's at Jesus' feet uh, begging for his help and persisting in that. Let's just look at Jesus' response to her request. She's begging Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus says, First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. So just picture the scene. Here's this Greek woman on her knees 
before Jesus and begging Jesus to heal her daughter. She knows you alone can rescue. You alone, Lord, can save. You are the only one who can offer any hope in this awful situation. And Jesus says, first let the children eat what they want. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet for the Jews, but what about for the Gentiles? First let Israel taste of the bread of life. That's what Jesus is saying. Let my disciples come and be satisfied. Let the nation of Israel be filled and find their satisfaction in me first. The children of Israel um, were the Jews, and Jesus' mission clearly is first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. We, Paul picks up on this theme in Romans chapter 1. Do you remember that great verse? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Well, I think um, some modern scholars are quite embarrassed by what Jesus says here in Mark 7, verse 27, uh, when he calls this woman a dog. But I don't think we need to be embarrassed by this. Jesus is making a strong point in what he's about to say to this woman. There is an eternal plan in place and in motion. And it's unfolding for the whole world to see. Jesus has come first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. There is blessing for all found in Jesus. And this woman can see it. She can see that there's blessing there. She glimpses, if you like, the light that's just appearing through the door. She can see it. And she gets that from that word in verse 27. First, first let the children eat all they want. First let them come. But her faith in Jesus was strong enough to see that Jesus isn't turning her away. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't turn her away. And she says in verse 28, Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She turns what appears to be a word of reproach and rebuke into a word of optimism for her situation. Not only does she accept being called a dog, she's rejoicing because of it. Why? For even under this table, the dogs get to eat the scraps from the children. When I grew up, we had a white standard poodle called Keita. She was a beautiful, lovely dog, but she was a real menace for eating things that she shouldn't. Uh, one day, she managed to get on top of the worktop and she got the Christmas turkey that was on top of the fridge, knocked it off, and ate a whole load of it before we came back home. She also managed to um, eat my, a, a packet of my auntie's contraceptive pill that was upstairs in the bedroom. She ate the whole packet of these pills, and it sent the dog absolutely loopy. She was never the same after that. But there was one thing that we could be sure with Keita. When it was mealtime, she'd be sat underneath the table, waiting for the food to come. Now, I'm not a huge fan of liver and kidney. My mum used to like making steak and kidney pie. I hated it. Um, I like the steak, but not the kidney. I didn't like liver and bacon. I like the bacon, but again, I don't like the kidney. So I would very often be feeding the dog under the table and dropping my boiled potatoes. Not a fan of boiled potatoes. If you're inviting me for lunch at your house, no boiled potatoes, no liver, no kidney. Anything else, I'll eat it. But the, the point is, dogs will eat the scraps that fall under the table. 
And as quick-witted as this mother may be, actually, there's great faith in what she exercises here. While she's knelt before Jesus, her king, do you see that? She's empty-handed, she's bringing nothing, but she's seeking a blessing from the Lord as she sat under his table. Shamelessly, persistently, persevering, seeking what we've learned to call amazing grace. Do you know this image of uh, this uh, story in Mark is brought out uh, in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Um, It's known as the Prayer of Humble Access. Let me just read this to you, see if you can connect with what this is saying uh, to the passage we've been looking at. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies, we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord, whose property is always, always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear son Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. Amen. Isn't that great? Isn't that great language? Uh, Notice that it's table, it's not altar. That's a little bugbear that I have. So this is not an altar. If anyone thinks it is, it's a table. This is the Anglican church, uh, not the Catholic church. It's a table. I've just got to say that. Um, So, um, sorry about that. It is, it's just just one of those bugbears. Um, What do we receive from the Lord's table? What do we receive? Well, we receive his grace and his mercy. And that's what's on offer through the Lord Jesus. And I think this is the spirit in which uh, this woman believed that Jesus would hear her prayer and act upon it. So what does this mean for you and I? Firstly, I think there's a huge encouragement for us to be people of prayer, praying for others. This mum was praying for someone who couldn't pray for herself. Do we get that? And she never rested until that prayer was answered. Secondly, there's some battles that we're going to face in this life that no human intervention can help out with, that we need exclusively the power of the Lord Jesus to help through prayer. And notice that it's through prayer that this daughter is healed. As hopeless and desperate a case that this may appear, this young girl had a praying mother. What a great encouragement for parents this morning. Where there is prayer for our children, there is always hope. Let that be a word to someone this morning. Isn't that great? For the parent here this morning concerned about their child or children, remember this woman. Remember her perseverance and her persistence in prayer. And let this be a reminder to all of us to be on our knees in this year of mission before the Lord, who can do way more than we can ask or imagine. Sometimes that's going to, uh, sometimes we may face a knockback in life. Sometimes uh, we may even face real discouragement. But let us take note at the end of the day, this woman went home rejoicing and glad because she found her daughter lying on the bed and the demon had gone. 
Well, surely this is a great encouragement for us to be praying. It's the greatest kindness that we can ever do for anyone is to be interceding and praying for people. Can I encourage us, as Mike and Rachel leave, we're to be people of prayer for them in their next situation. As they break new ground, no doubt they're going to come up against some opposition. Let's be holding them in our prayers as they're moving forward. And when, um, when I think about praying for my own family and my own friends, um, I don't know about you, but I often feel discouraged. I, I just think, wow, this is an impossible situation for Jesus to break into. But do you know what? I'm struck by an example of a man called D.L. Moody. Have you heard of him? He was an American evangelist in the 1800s, and D.L. Moody prayed for a hundred of his friends throughout his lifetime to become Christians, to come to know Jesus. And during his life, 96 of those friends became Christians. Didn't all happen at once, but over time he continued to pray for these hundred friends. 96 during his life. The other four became Christian at his funeral as he died. Isn't that incredible? You know, wow, God can use us. God can use our prayers. He can take them and he can use that. Isn't that amazing? Persistence in prayer. Who are you praying for at the moment? Who are those five knots that you tied at the Thy Kingdom Come event that we had a few weeks back? Do you remember those cards that we gave out at the start of the year of mission? Who are you still praying for? If any of them uh, come to know Jesus, any of them questioning now, um, and, and, and wanting to find out more about Jesus. I wonder, uh, who is on your heart this morning? Maybe um, you're not sure yourself about the Christian faith. Maybe you feel like your kind of spiritual anchor has come up and you've drifted a million miles away. Maybe you've just walked away from Jesus at the moment in your life. Well, the Bible says, come back. Come and taste again of the goodness of the Lord Jesus. He is the one who truly satisfies Uh, He's the one uh, who can turn our hearts uh, back to him. Well, wherever you're at, whoever's on your mind at the moment, maybe it is yourself, let's just take a few moments uh, just to come before the Lord uh, in quiet. Let's pray. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Lord Jesus, thank you that you alone truly satisfy. We pray for those uh, in our hearts yet to know you. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace. Thank you for your mercy and grace shown at the cross as you gave your life as a ransom for many. We pray that you would help us to walk closely with you and draw those who are drifting from you at this time into a lively hope. For our Lord Jesus Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Amen.